Warning. The following podcast contains two morons talking about sophisticated subject matter, like ninus and hoo-hahs. Also, a few whoopsie-daisies and at least one house or ante. If you don't have a strong stomach, you know where the door is. Right. On with the shenanigans, then. The podcast which you are about to hear is an account of the tragedy which befell two washed-up losers. In particular, Court Psyops and his immature co-host, Matt. It was all the more tragic in that they were uncultured morons. But had they lived very, very full lives, they could not have expected nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see each week. For them, an idiotic podcast show became a nightmare. The events of each week were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, Cinema PsyOps, with Court and Matt. What is PsyOps? PSYOPs, for psychological operations, is very simply the art of influencing how people feel and think and ultimately how they behave and what they do. You don't have to defeat the enemy on the battlefield. It's better if you can convince the enemy to do what you want him to do without having to fight him. And that's really the intent behind PSYOPs, to convince people to do what you want them to do. So how does PSYOPs fit into what's happening now? The two points I'd like to make with you and the audience is that first and foremost, PSYOPs save lives. The second thing I'd like to say, a lot of people have misconception about PSYOPs. They think it's something devious and brainwashing. You don't know exactly what's going on right now, but we do know that there are some psyops going on, right? Ma'am, I don't know. Cinema psyops. And I believe with all of my heart that it is a contributing factor to our juvenile delinquency of today. Why I believe that is because I know how it feels. I know what it does to you. Cinema psyops. They think it's something devious and brainwashing. Hello and welcome to 262 by curiously consecutive weeks of cinema psyops i'm your host court as previously was mentioned in the intro but this way you have a voice to the name if this is your first time ever listening to this show or at least that's the logic that people give as to why you need to identify yourself by your own voice and then introduce your co-host like i'm doing here matt I'm the immature co-host Matt, as you heard in the intro, and here's my voice for people who've never listened before. (laughs) Hi, people! (laughs) Hey, people! Hi! Don't you love the people? (laughs) Not a very lively bunch. I mean, I always start the intro with a little bit of liveliness, and then I realize this is the last day of my vacation, and I'm fucking exhausted, and I don't want to do anymore. Right? (laughs) Here's, here's, Here's the good way. I wanted to say this. Here's the good way you can look at this. So you go back to work tomorrow, right? Three days. That's that's how I always look at when we shoot the show, when we do the show or record the show on a different day than our usual day. It makes it a shorter week. Like <laughs> right now, like tomorrow, I'm going to feel like it's Tuesday and I'll be pleasantly surprised all week when it's a different day. <laughs> Although that's a double-edged sword because I almost forgot to get trash out today because I thought it was Monday because we we're doing the show. <laughs> Yeah, well, the show is trash, so having it associated with Trash Day for both of us is wise. <laughs> Jesus, well, I didn't, I didn't want to say that, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. 
Of course I'm right. I made the show. I know what garbage it is. Yeah, yeah it's trash because we're trash. But these last two weeks, both week one and week two of year six, I've decided to front load our year with classy, well-acted, excellently scripted, really well-shot films about serial killers and two of the most heinous ones in history. Yeah, if I can't, I mean, uh, Tony Curtis, uh... Fucking uh, George Kennedy is in, I mean, fuck it. Just the stars are everywhere. George Kennedy in a serious role doing yeah, not, dramatic work, not being silly. Yeah. Yeah. Not being silly guy, which he does that that well as well. I mean, you know, I'm not sitting here going to shit on him, but he, he did that well as well. So yeah, it's fucking great. Just the stars were out for this movie though. Uh, Henry Fonda. Holy shit. You know, aging, probably dying on the inside, but he was there. Well, I will say this. Enjoy the quality of films this week. Because oh, no. it's about to nosedive on you. Oh, that's too bad. Well, it's going to go to hell after this. I mean, we're not necessarily going to hell, but I'm sure you won't like what's next. Oh, what's next? <laughs> it's on the list. I'm not telling everybody. They got to figure it out when it gets released. Oh, okay. I got, I got you. I got you. I got you. Yeah, so uh, the movies are loaded up into the uh, share drive as we talked about doing I haven't created anymore because it's almost half a year already that's in there <laughs> yeah yeah we're gonna forget by the time we get to the end uh, like which one's the next movie well I've already kind of etch a sketched what's in that drive even though I know it's there I just haven't made a new list I gave us like four weeks and it was basically the stuff that was left over from year five yeah. I really wanted to get to Boston Strangler and Citizen X in a back-to-back back like week after week show but then i was like holy fuck there's like 13 of these andy sedaris movies how are we gonna do this yeah I and, mean, like, and, a, there's like a billion Andy Sedaris flicks when really there could have been two because they're all so much the same. More or less. Yeah. But I, I was kind of like building up to it and I was going to do these two films and then I was going to cool everybody off and we we're going to have a good time and laugh and talk yeah. about Andy Sedaris movies. But this got pushed back in the scheduling because it just couldn't get it to work. I couldn't get the build up that I wanted to do it. So I'm just like, fuck it. We'll just open your sixth this way and then we'll nose dive in quality for films from there. It's fucking name, man. It's a good way to begin. Like I said, a good palate cleanser right after Sedaris and before what we have to do. <laughs> Whatever that it's like, may it's be. like you just hit a shit sandwich, so now you're gonna have a T-bone steak right before you know your other shit sandwich. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna maintain the status quo of shit for you. That's basically the cinema psyops way. Goddamn, it sounds like my life. All right. Well, we're going to keep things at a certain pace, because if we start going too highbrow and highfalutin in films, we may yeah. get noticed by like film Twitter, and then they'll start to really expect us to step uh, up our game and to start to like, canceling culture and shit. Oh, yeah. I can't cancel any more culture. I've, I've reached my limit on and the amount of culture I've already canceled. I was actually so. in a club for culture that got canceled. Really? Which <laughs> I'm being facetious. Dude. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I thought maybe that was real. I was like, holy shit, really? <laughs> what happened? What'd you do? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Culture Club, and Culture Club is apparently canceled now. Oh, <laughs> that's too bad. I don't Everyone even know what they Culture did. Club. I don't know what they did. I'm not. I'm well, just being stupid. Well, they, did they come a come a come a come a chameleon? I'm just going to let that out there for everybody to just process what you just did. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, now it's time to move on. We're going to play the Legion GoFundMe ad because we really, really need to pay for people's mental distress from what just happened there with Matt. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
We come back, we'll have a little bit of industrial music, which may capture the disappointment and shame that we all feel with what just happened with Matt. You know, hey, come on, it wasn't that bad. And when we come back, we will play the trailer for the Boston Strangler. This is Bo from LegionPodcasts.com. Hey, it's been a crazy time, and when the world gets nuts, we're happy to offer some old-fashioned podcast entertainment. But for some folks, getting a laugh out of a show isn't really helping these days. People who depend on tips in their bartending jobs or have been put on furlough with no pay till the worst of this coronavirus threat has passed. That's a tough spot. That's why we set up a GoFundMe for members of our community, a sort of grand scale take a penny, leave a penny. For people like myself, for whom the recent disruptions haven't kicked us out of work, well, we can drop a few of those extra pennies in the GoFundMe jar. For those who are directly affected by recent events, and find themselves looking for money to pay the electric bill or keep the water on, well, how about you give me a shout at bo, B-O, at legionpodcasts.com. Let me know the situation and what you need, and we'll do our best to make life a little easier. And you can find links to the GoFundMe on the front page of legionpodcasts.com, on our Facebook group page, or on Twitter, at legionpodcasts, where it's the pinned tweet. For those of you who are able... Thanks in advance for chipping in. And members of our community who need a hand, hey, here we are. Remember, stay safe, stay healthy, and we're all going to get through this together. Legion isn't just a name, it's who we are. Thanks for listening to all the shows here on Legion Podcasts, and we'll talk to you soon. there's that dark industrial music for us to be able to process what it yes. is that we just dealt with with matt what wait no, i mean i've done way worse things in the show than that so i i think you're really making uh uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, fucking mountains out of mohills here. I believe that you have done the worst travesty you have ever committed on this show. Really? You've delayed this trailer. This is the story of the self-confessed Boston Strangler, based on Gerald Frank's startling bestseller. It has been filmed where the actual happenings made shocking headlines around the world. I want you to coordinate the investigations for the Commonwealth. Set up a strangler bureau. I'm not even remotely qualified for this kind of thing. You want the stranglings to go on? That's not fair. Preview audiences have acclaimed this a remarkable motion picture. Academy Award stature. For the indelible quality of this film is that the tension, the suspense, the emotion mount when the camera goes beyond the panic-stricken streets of Boston. Beyond the dark corridors of the apartment houses where the strangler silently prowled. Beyond the bedrooms of lonely, fearful women. Into the forbidden corners of a man's mind and soul. Why did 13 women open their doors willingly to this stranger? 
The Boston Strangler stars Tony Curtis in a powerful characterization unlike anything he has ever portrayed on the screen. Henry Fonda and George Kennedy. These things you see that come into your head and you don't have anything to do about it, now is the time for you to try to make some sense out of them. Face it, what did you see? Woman's breasts. Whose? I don't know. A blouse came off in my hand. Albert, now. Now is the time. Go back. The suspects range from derelicts to Back Bay, Boston. How many names have you got in here? Five hundred. How many have you scored with? Well, at least, um, two-thirds. In six months? Uh-huh. You could have killed any one of them. We'll check you out. Check him out, hell. Find out what kind of diet he's on and have it mimeographed for the rest of us. the suspense builds to an incredible crescendo, you realize that you are involved in one of the most remarkable screen experiences of our time. You will know all there is to know about the Boston Strangler. Why did so many women open their doors willingly? The answers are not what you expected. I mean, it's home improvement. Let's just cut to the chase. It's home improvement that made the Boston Strangler able yeah. to, to work as effectively as they did. Because, I mean, nobody went ahead to wait for the super to get another person to fix, like, the sink or the toilet or the bathtub. And when there's nothing but a shitty apartment buildings from the turn of the century everywhere, of course, everybody's constantly needing things fixed. Of course. Hellishly, devilishly genius plan. Oh, yeah. Uh, and again, prey on the, the weak and the impoverished, and uh, you, you'll win, I guess, is the history of our world. <laughs> so, all right. So we begin with the Boston Strangler, and we start off with, uh, this is the story of Albert DiSavlo, a self-confessed, the, the self-constressed Boston Strangler. The characters and incidents you're about to see are based on fact. So... Uh, then, uh, we open up with a, we see like this house being robbed. Does he hear about this parade for, uh, an, an astronaut in town? And then we see a dead, uh, senior citizen lady's body. And, uh, while this is happening, the cops are investigating and they're stating that she was mauled, but no semen was found. They're like, asked if she was right, no semen. But she was mauled. Um, then, after that, you cut to in another apartment building, and two older ladies are talking how they haven't seen their friend. So they see that her door is unlocked, and they open it. And the cinematography in this is really cool, because as you see the two ladies talking, you see their friend's like feet in like what is supposed to be her room. This is one of the earlier uses of uh, split screen, yeah. and De Palma ended up riding this to its fucking grave and destroying, using split screen 
dramatically well. Uh, oh, this, okay. this film is probably one of the best examples of how to use it effectively to tell story and build tension because yeah. it's like we've been shown the proverbial MacGuffin bomb under the table that uh, Hitchcock always talked about where you have people just holding a normal conversation and only the audience knows that there's a bomb under the table, you know, that they're yeah. talking over top of. And uh-huh. so that builds attention as you watch the timer go and the people have no clue, you know, you get more and more upset. Well, this is sort of the reverse of that, where you know something's already bad, but you don't want the reveal of what may have happened to this friend that they're talking about, yet we're focused in on her lifeless, unmoving legs. Yes. For the entirety of them talking in some kind of hope that she may be okay, they just don't know why she's not coming out. Yeah, and uh, so then they check on her, because her door's open, and they find her dead body. This cuts to uh, some police officers, some cops discussing this case with a reporter, and that turns out to be our first clip. Nothing stolen. It's a personal enmity, uh, grudge killing. Two cases of personal enmity against two harmless old ladies in the same neighborhood in one week? Come on, Captain. Looks to me like a nuts loose. Nuts don't ransack apartments. Nothing was stolen, was it? Oh, let him have his story. Maybe the nut was looking for something imaginary. Oh, like what? What do I know? A fire engine he thinks someone stole from him when he was three. Don't you watch television? You know what that's called? Double square nut. Surgeon's nut. Not a very commonly used knot, is it? So the women were strangled with a double square knot. What are you trying to tell us? That it was a doctor or an Eagle Scout? Okay. What about the sex? What did he actually do to them? What's the difference what he did? People like to read about it. Let them read paperbacks. We're withholding that till we check out confessions. Do you have any? We have a select group we can rely on to confess to any homicide committed in Greater Boston. See you later. Thanks, Captain. Teletype from the Lynn Police. I found a 68-year-old retired nurse by the name of Louise Penny. Strangled. Was she raped? With a wine bottle. Blown maniac on our hands. Yeesh. Yeah. Not uh not good. Uh so one of the things this film does actually pretty well is recreate horrific things in your mind without actually showing you any of it. Like this yes. really skirts the censorship problems of the mid to late sixties of the day that this was made. And I think it does a rather excellent job of it. Uh just by frankly stating the words raped with a champagne bottle, your brain yeah. fills in the rest. Yeah. You don't you don't it, need to see it happen. You don't need to see the after effect of the violence. Just find the way they did it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also it helps when you have great actors delivering those lines because it gives a little bit more weight to things. Um, so then George Kennedy, our, kind of our lead detective on this case, he actually kind of pays a, a prostitute for help and info on a John, a John that likes to get a little rough but can't ever, I guess, fully perform, if you will. Um, Not he true. In. He can't really get it up until he's choking. Yes, till he's choking, yes. Not himself uh, but I choking, guess he but never, he's choking he someone was, else. But he never finishes. I thought she also made a statement, like, nothing happens afterwards. Well, anyway, he goes and he kind of interrogates this man, um, threatens him with his, you know, family life and all that, uh, but it does not seem that this guy is the guy that he's looking for. We never really hear about him again. Um, It's kind of interesting the way that they do this first couple of moments of searching for the killer where we're going through all the various cards 
of sexual quote unquote deviance and they're working yeah. their way through. And I could see possibly the understanding or, or the thinking of, well, the guy gets off on choking women. So maybe he's taking his fantasy another step. And, you know, I can see that that way of going. But if they're already looking for a prostitute to help them fulfill their fantasy, then they're already trying to find a healthy way to deal with what it is they're into. Yeah. Well, how, to, how to handle what's going on. Yeah. Instead um, of just but, randomly choking women for no reason, clip. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then we see an old lady. She gets buzzed by a repairman. And much how we kind of joked about earlier, uh, she doesn't really want to let him in. She's like, the super didn't say anything to me about this. And he said, that's fine. If, you know, uh, it's no skin off my back, I'll, I'll leave and you can talk to him. Uh, you don't want to fix today. That's fine. And so then she goes, well, wait, I, w- I do want to fix. So she buzzes him in. And uh, it's a so, constant fucking scam that this yeah. person pulls really, really well to get into places. It's yeah. it's quite literally like, well, look, you're on my list. And if you won't let me do the work, who knows when somebody's going to get to it? And he's like, no, no, I want the free fix thing. Fix the thing. Fix yeah, Because, yeah, you know, probably landlords or supers back then were almost impossible to get a hold of. So if something was broken and you know you want it fixed you, you get it fixed i mean you, you're gonna you're almost willing to do anything um so she does let him in and even has like this little smile moment where she's like you know you can never be too careful and then um this leads to a nudes broadcast and that is our next clip mara edwards louise penny bertha blum all highly respectable women innocently admitted this deranged man to their homes Allow no strangers to enter your home under any pretext. An emergency telephone number, RI-21818, has been established. This line is open 24 hours a day. Do not be embarrassed nor afraid to report any person, no matter how insignificant you may feel your suspicions are. Thank you. All right. I hope you've all got the picture. Now, each of you is getting a list of known sex offenders. Bring in the people you'd usually ignore. The peepers, the men's room queens, the exhibitionists, subway jostlers, the, the dirty word specialists. Now, I know it isn't easy to question habitual sex offenders and certified nuts, but nail them and let's talk to them. You don't have to have an ironclad case. We're not interested in misdemeanor convictions. Only homicide suspects. Now, let's get with this. If we don't find this man, I'm afraid this is going to keep happening. That's it. This was something that we definitely discussed in Citizen X. When you got a serial killer on the prowl, you automatically start cruising through your various communities of alternative lifestyles. Because he did say right there, the men's room queens and all that kind of stuff where they're specifically targeting people that they deem to be preverts in some way. That one I missed. But unlike um, Citizen X, at least he also is like... You know, the gropers and stuff. So they are also targeting people who are committing sexual assault. Well, there was you know. there was some kind of a like a the peepers and something yeah. else. And then I the, did it's I didn't... the peepers, the subway gropers and the dirty word specialists. And those are probably guys who like make the crank phone calls. Well, would make and, the and... sexually explicit phone calls. Yeah. 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 That's what I meant. Like the you know, the. The really bad uh, calls. Well, this leads to a montage where they do a lot of that split screen of questioning, you know, cops grab, like, you saw a guy, they're waiting for a bus, and this guy grabs a a, a woman's uh, rear end, 
and she kind of gets shocked, and then all of a sudden cops just grab him and drag him away. Um, Which makes a little bit more sense because a lot of the like grabbing a woman without permission, groping them on the subway just because you can get away with it, chances are you would be more likely to be the kind of person that they're looking for that would do that kind of killing. Than yeah, I don't know why you would even look for any homosexuals because these are <laughs> crimes against women. You know, it may, it may be because they're being raped with foreign objects that are thinking he can't get it up for some reason. I don't know. Or it's just, it's more likely just plain bigotry. Well, so. it's probably a little bit of bigotry and then probably also that at the point in time that this film took place and whenever they were looking for the actual serial killer, the Savo, it was still framed to where homosexuality was actually considered a mental illness in this time by yeah, that's true. the AMA and the way that that shit was set up. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's how it's looked at. Yeah. So they automatically get lumped in, you know, and, and then anybody who has any kind of mental issues, whether it's just depression or anything like that, they also are going to get lumped in as well, because that's just who you look for whenever someone starts killing. You look for someone with a deranged, quote unquote, mind. Yeah, exactly. More than that, you have uh, you have a crank caller guy who not even, you know, he's, he's making offensive phone calls and you can tell he makes these calls constantly. So uh, while one woman keeps him on the line and he's kind of really getting grotesque with her, another woman calls the cops, they trace the call and they nab him right out of a payphone. Um, and then you get uh, more coverage of another murder that happens throughout all this montage. Another murder happens and that kind of, and they kind of do a news coverage of it and that kind of closes out our first 20 minutes. So our first 20 minutes is kind of boiled into they realize they have a problem. They really want to head this off at the past. So they're going after kind of all their known, you know, guys or all their own known people who are kind of deviant, as they would put it. It also is pretty interesting to see how the officials realize that something bad is on the horizon and it's enough to where they're trying to get ahead before the public really knows about the panic. And they're still trying to block the press out for a lot of stuff, at least for yeah. this first 20 minutes minutes and it's really interesting how that develops in the next portion yeah. of the film when you could have maybe really made it known you, you guys seriously put in the news listen we, we might be having a problem so you know women be very careful about who you're letting into your home well they did sort of they made that announcement but it was like basically right at the tail end of this 20 minutes when we're leading yeah. into the next group when it becomes yeah. a citywide fear so yes the next 20 minutes uh there's a montage of inter news interviews that we begin with a montage of interviews and women are talking about protecting themselves uh there's a lot of people, a lot of women buying guns, knives. Uh, we see a lot of older ladies like sleeping with clubs uh, or butcher knives, that sort of thing. Um, but not for self-defense. That's just something else that they're that into. Just, that's just, you know, that's just, yeah, we don't even want anybody to know all about that. Um <laughs> So then uh, there is another murder and they're investigating the body. Only this time he was not let in. He broke in. So this is the one where they find that ruler that actually slips yes. the locks. They found a thieves yes, they, they, lock it's a thieves tool, as they call it, which is basically like this really flexible, like metal ruler like thing that will bend around that they can basically use to pull the door open from the inside. Yeah. Uh, so then we meet Henry Fonda's Jack Bottomley. And that is our next clip through payroll deduction, compulsory arbitration of labor disputes, confiscatory taxation itself. Yet in the area of condemnation of private property for public use in the best egalitarian tradition of the greatest good for the greatest number, 
the present administration found widespread public resistance, vindictive and sometimes violent. Today, under the leadership of Attorney General Brooke, the very mention of eminent domain no longer produces sentiments in the most conservative citizens verging on anarchy. As his captain of that division, I have had the honor of working with him to rake the backlog in the courts of land damage cases and to help persuade the legislature that... You're doing this on radio? Well, yes. Is there anything wrong with it? Well, it's scholarly. I was trying to popularize it. What time do you go on, Jack? 8 a.m. 8 a.m.? Well, it might make a nice valedictory address for you. Are you going somewhere? No, I want you right here. Just an added bit to your duties, that's all. What added bit? I like eminent domain. I know you do. It's legal and technical and orderly and remote. What have you got in mind for me? The stranglings. Beg your pardon? Oh, come on, Jack. Uh, you must have some contact with the everyday world. You do read the newspapers. Only the editorial pages. Don't you look at television? Can't. It hurts my eyes. You know, I actually see that electronic beam scanning the tube. What about the stranglings? They keep happening. Of course. Compulsive homicide. Intermotivated. You only catch it by fluke. That isn't good enough. Fortunately, you have four police departments to absorb public criticism. Commonwealth can stay out of it. I don't intend the Commonwealth to stay out of it. There's an absolutely urgent need to coordinate the investigations. We've got to do it. What part do you want me to play in this, Ed? I want you to coordinate the investigations for the Commonwealth. Set up a Strangler Bureau. No. This is not a favor I'm asking of you, and the budget hasn't any money to pay you for it. But I'm putting it to you as I see it. Public service. I teach law. I write about law. My practice has almost disappeared while I've been working with you. That's my public service. I'm not even remotely qualified for this kind of thing. You have one of the best minds I know. You're highly respected. You're a uniquely competent administrator, and in spite of that scholarly pose, you're tough enough. Forgetting everything else, I'm against it on principle. You want the stranglings to go on? That's not fair. I don't want to throw out the baby with the bath. The stronger and more centralized police authority becomes, the less I like it. Spoken like a scholar. Which is what I hope I am. God really sits on your shoulder, doesn't he? That's a regional and ethnic disability I inherit from my ancestors. Well, shall we have some more tea? What an argument. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, I love that. That was a hell of a way to introduce that character right there. <laughs> so nothing wrong with that. So uh, then uh, this cuts to two young women are coming home and they're talking about their roommate and uh, they go like and they go to find her and they find her dead. So now it, the killer has changed things up and this leads to a new news program. And that is our next clip. Victim Lisa Gordon was young. Unlike the others who are old and living with two other girls. Unlike the others who lived alone. From now on, no woman in greater Boston, regardless of who she is or how she lives, can feel secure. And now let's go to the State House where Mr. John Bottomley, who has been appointed head of the newly created Strangler Bureau, is setting up his headquarters. Mr. Bottomley, how are you, sir? Hello there, Mr. Dreyer. Mr. Bottomley, at this early stage of the investigation, 
Can you tell us what your first steps will be? Yes, our first job's to copy the files of each of the homicides in each of the police departments involved. Boston, Cambridge, Lynn, Lawrence, and Salem, and reconstruct them in master files in these books here. I see. Uh, Mr. Bonhamley. Mr. Bonhamley, is there any significance to the fact that half of that bulletin board is empty? A medical psychiatric board is one of three divisions of this operation. I've talked informally with its members. And they feel the chances are that these killings will continue until we find our man. There's a lot of talk about finding these demented people and treating them before they get to the point of killing. Now, do you have an opinion on that? A lot of talk is exactly what it is. What more can you expect from a society that itself spends 44% of its tax dollar on killing? Anything else? Yes. Why did you take this on? I was ordered to by my employer, the Attorney General. Ordered to, Mr. Bottomley? Don't you find that credible? If you say so. I'll amend it. He challenged me and I was sucked in. <laughs> Thank you very much. I also cut out a little bit there. Um, this uh, young lady who was murdered is also a person of color where the others were white. But unfortunately, the um, language was uh, not appropriate. Yeah, there's so, a bunch of change. there's a bunch of phrasing in this film that is very much of its day. Now, of its, yeah, in the time frame of its day, it was actually relatively progressive, and we'll get into yeah. that when we get further into the movie when it's still kind of progressive for this day and age with some of the ways that they handle some subject matter. But yeah, it's still going to have some moments that are going to make you cringe. So yes, I'm grateful that you did cut that out. Yeah, yeah of course, I was never going to leave that in. Um, so, uh, they, uh, then they get a call in the case. Um, these two women who live together, who they were, they refer to in uh, a not so simple sense as they believe they are, these two women are married to one another, and their tenant who lives with them is a homosexual. Anyway, she, uh, the main woman who called in, shows them a painting he had recently purchased of a person, a, a young lady who is a person of color. And she says that the both the women talked and she had told them that you watch the next woman who will be killed will be a person of color. Again, not the words they use. Um, <laughs> and how he, everything he purchases and collects seems to be about murder and torture of of females. Well, the thuggies call, which was was more known for strangulation, and then yes. also torture, which he likes a little sadomasochism and choking. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's a Boston Strangler, but I get what they're going for, and she is a woman scorned. Yes, she is, which we find out. We don't know that yet, but we'll find that out. So Bottomley himself visits the man at what they, I mean, I don't come out and say it, but it's a gay club uh, or at least a gay bar. Um, it's and, completely a gay bar. And this is the sequence yeah. I was talking about where they handle things shockingly progressively. Progressive. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, he um, they kind of talk back and forth, Bottomley and this other gentleman. And Bottomley even then at one point says, you know, he goes, maybe you're curious about us. And Bottomley says, maybe I'm slumming it. And the man's kind of really offended by that. And he goes, I didn't see that coming from you. And Bottomley goes, no, that was wrong of me. I'm sorry. You know, he apologizes. As they talk, they find out that this man was married to that woman at one point in time. Only she played the husband. 
husband while he played the wife. And he said, I, he left her and she is a woman who's very, she's a scorned woman. As you said, she's a woman scorned. So that kind of, they eliminate him from, uh, from the, you know, uh, the suspect list. And it's really kind of incredible the way that Longbottom's character is just about the facts. He doesn't really care what the logistics are. He just was kind of surprised that they were married as man and wife and he didn't get it. But then when it's explained to him, he really was like, okay, well, that doesn't really have a bearing on anything having to do with the case that I can tell. So he just kind of like lets it roll off his back. He doesn't comment on it. They don't play it up. But the way that they're doing a lot of this and a lot of the discussion, the way that it's actually just very said very frankly, was actually quite ahead of its time. Uh, Even Very. I I thought very ahead of its time. Yeah. uh, There's a few things whenever they're talking about how the guy lives with the two ladies and then how they're referring to them, not just mentioning that they're lesbians, but the way that they go out of their way to say that they're married to each other and make that seem like that's such a ridiculous notion that the two women would be married. Yeah, like Uh, I said, that was a little crazy. They use some very colorful language there that is not very progressive. Yeah. Yeah. But then whenever it's dealing with specifically the Longbottom character, who is a well-read and intelligent man, none of that actually happens. And I was a little upset we had George Kennedy's character use the term a few times, but I remember him getting chastised for it from Longbottom at some point later on in the film. So I kind of was like even surprised that they had that too, where the guy's like, don't use that term. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So anyway, um, we then cut to... uh, a guy is kind of walking his lady friend to her door. Um, she goes in and we see the killer's feet. He goes down, he knocks on the door and she opens it up thinking that it's her boyfriend again. And we see a knife kind of just go up to her chest that cuts away. Um, then we see like, uh, we cut to the outside. It looks like it's morning time. And this woman kind of jumps out of a car and she runs. And this guy who looks really dirty and manic catches up with her and starts choking her until the cops pry him off and, and arrest him. They interrogate this man and they find out he's actually in a play. And that's why he's kind of all done up and dressed up. And he has this kind of very fancy knife. Um, he's also a drunk and he has certain mental issues but he has a lawyer there and the woman is his wife who i guess i think cheated on him they they play this up but he actually isn't really like an actor he's just pretending that he's othello in a play because he's angry about something that his wife did so he's reacting in the way that he's reacting where he's trying to strangle her like othello and he's also in blackface he's not just dirty he's in blackface is that what he was doing all right. Yes. Uh, so anyway, as they talk to him more, they bring in his wife for a statement. He sees her and he loses his mind trying to get at her. And as they, they he's like pushing cops on him. So then bottomly pretty much just knocks him out. And uh, so um, then that cuts to the cops run a sting on this guy who's he shows up. He's like hitting on this woman and he feels her waist. He goes, what's that you have there? And she goes, well, that's my gun. And then the two other cops show up and they kind of interrogate him. And we actually heard this a little bit in the um, trailer about, you know, 500 women and he has a success rate. What he is, is he's actually a produce man, but he lies to women that he's a colonel to just to try to sleep with them. And he even says, I don't hurt anybody. He goes, I follow them. It's, he goes, it's like a hobby. I follow them. Then, you know, I kind of get to know them by following them. And then he lies to them about what he does. And then he sleeps with them or he gets rejected and he goes away. But his kill rate in the middle of a, endemic craziness of what's happening with a serial killer murdering women left and right they're all terrified and yet he's still pulling numbers 
with yeah. this simple lying sweet that's, game. And that's a cop. It was like, well, numbers like that. He goes, find out whatever his diet is and get it for the rest of us. Yeah, he has to have it mimeographed for the rest of us. Yeah, and then that kind of ends that twenty minute sector of them kind of. The cops pretty much like will look into him, but they kind of know he's not their man. They seem um, to be capturing pretty much every sex pest possible, but they haven't found the right person yet because they don't have profiling. So they're casting a really, really wide net and they're quote unquote cleaning up the city as they're doing it. Yeah. Um. So then we cut the start the next 20 minutes. Uh, another body is found. Hey, uh, Broom was inside of her uh, when they found her. That's uh, they, very infamous, and I have unfortunately seen that image. I know oh, it's really? horrifying. Yeah, yeah. No thanks. Um, the uh, bottomly tells him uh, uh, George Kennedy's character kind of loses it and wants to tell the press everything to even slap pictures on the newspapers just so women finally get it through their heads to you know be scared and not let anyone in their house. However, bottomly correctly tells him, "Don't tell anybody about the broom. Don't show." pictures that way the only people who know that are us and the murderer um so then um authorities decide to bring in a psychic and that is our next clip you got time for a sandwich yeah you know i got to tell you i thought you were kidding about this i haven't found anything to kid about since i left eminent domain what the hell is esp extra sensory perception Seeing and hearing things that have happened without being there. Sort of like a delayed mental telepathy. I don't believe in ordinary mental telepathy. Science takes it seriously. I've checked Turkus. He's helped police around the world from Miami to Scotland Yard. There are facts. Coincidences. They could have got the same thing by opening a fortune cookie. We've got nine dead women and every suspect and every clue that 2,600 police have come up with has exploded in our faces. Yeah, but where's the money coming from? Don't tell me the Commonwealth is springing for this. No, it isn't. A rich friend of the Attorney General is paying Herkus. Rich and eccentric. Look, I'd read the entrails of a crow on the steps of the State House if I thought we'd come up with one lousy little clue. I'm John Bottomley. Herkus? Dick Matheson. Detective Dinatelli. Everyone say Peter to me. Phil, if you all don't mind, I'd like to see your IDs. No reporters, huh? How you manage that? It was easy. All we had to do was get every newspaper, radio network, TV station, and international wire service to agree to look the other way. That's why we brought you into Providence. Now, if Peter strike out, public don't know nothing. Nobody yell big fake, right? Right. Okay. Right this way. This the way you want them? Each pile covers one of the killings. You got here the ladies' stockings, panties, bras, that stuff? On the way. Okay. We start on pictures. All yours. Tricks you play, huh? This one phony baloney. This not belong. You show Peter up, huh? Now we try a real one, hey? This top one is house. House where murder take place. Underneath is dead woman. Like this. Pretty good, eh? It's all right. Sorry I'm late, but my car wouldn't start. This is Sergeant Phil Lisi. Phil? Hello. 
You're not late because of car. I tell you what happened. You phone girlfriend. I can't come over this morning. I've got to see this nut circus. She say, ah, come over for one cup coffee. Right, Phil? So you go there. She bend over to get coffee. You grab her, push her on kitchen table and zonk. Then you come here. That's why you're late, right? You're a dangerous man, Peter. I tell truth, what I see. Hey, Phil, open that. Let Peter see ladies' things. Ah, uh, don't take so big, Phil. Maybe half men in the room have girl on way to work. Maybe Urka's big fake, huh? I see him. Not too big. Five feet, six, seven, a hundred and thirty, maybe forty pounds. He, he, he not sleep in bed. He, on floor. No, no, no. On mattress. No, no. Just on springs. Sleep on springs. He loves handbags. I, I see handbags, women's handbags, lots of handbags. He used them for sex. But it make, make him feel bad, not good. He, oh, I need map. Boston, quick. He lived here. Cambridge. This man, priest. No, 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 priest. But... Uh, Live with priest. Dress like priest. Priest, they, they take care, but he, he hurt himself. He, he make dirty. He wash hands in toilet. He, they throw him out. They... I stop now. Sashnik, you need a search warrant for a Eugene T. O'Rourke. Here's a letter O'Rourke wrote. These are my notes after I checked them out. 23-year-old girl in Cambridge. That's number 10. O'Rourke lives in Cambridge. I got something, eh? You got something. So they go to O'Rourke's place. And they find, yeah, the, 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 there's a bed, in, but it's all like springs, so it's not even really a bed. There's no mattress. They find um, weird, and they find a bunch of evidence in there, like a bunch of yoga poses, but with the exact amount of women who are currently dead, those kind of poses are marked off. Um, they find a bunch of the purses that they, you know, that the <laughs> that the psychic said. So they, um, the work comes in, and Bonnelly talks to him, and the work just starts crying about how he doesn't feel good he you know he doesn't like what he's doing all that but when they bring up the murders he then he gets really mad because it's like well you're not here to help me and you just think i murdered somebody you don't want to help me and he breaks down even more to the point where bottomly is going to have him committed for 10 days and but when Bottomley's leaving, he goes, I think we landed someplace that looks great, but it's wrong. It's basically what he says. He made a so beautiful he, landing at the wrong airport. Yeah, there you go. Uh, he even after just talking to him, uh, Bottomley does not believe uh, O'Rourke is the murderer. 
Um, and that kind of, uh, then, uh, they discover while O'Rourke is in custody or in the hospital, another murder happens. Um, and they even think she may have known her attacker, but they're not sure. Uh, and that kind of closes out that 20 minutes. So, uh, again, a lot more dead end. Like every time they think they're close, they, uh, they lose it. And the frustration is starting to set in where some of the guys, want to give up too quickly the whole spiel with the psychic um there was a benefactor i can't remember exactly who but was like a friend of the mayor that paid yeah. for the psychic to come and then the psychic more or less all the stuff that he described about this guy was somebody that they were already looking at and i think the psychic was circling around them while they were talking out loud in the airport to see that they could find the psychic and all that stuff that he just basically said about the person that he thinks did it was actually actually the one person that the one cop was already discussing there at the airport waiting to pick him up. Yes, so I think, he pulled, the, I think he just pulled a total scam. I think so. And then he probably just made a guess that, you know, a cop might have a side girlfriend, you know, especially in that point in time. It's, well, it's an educated guess. Well, and it wasn't even a side girlfriend. It was his regular girlfriend. It just so yeah. happened that he was late because he was getting laid. Yeah. I mean, it's safe guess, you know, young guy, all that kind of stuff. So we open up the next 20 minutes with, uh, we cut to Tony Curtis uh, is sitting there, and his character uh, is sitting there watching the Kennedy funeral happening on live on television. Um, he's kind of just staring, and the man's children comes in, his daughter tells him not to be sad, and, you know, he seems like this is normal family guy. You know, he has a wife who loves him, and the kids love him, and he seems to be a very good father and a good husband, and he tells him that he needs to go check on a furnace and she's like what do you have to go today and he goes well you know probably you know he goes i need to get out of the house you know probably you know 24 7 coverage of that so i need to get out of the house anyway and get some air um so you can while driving he seems to while driving go into almost this trance and he goes to a woman's place to fix her tub and uses that you know excuse hey if you don't want to fix that's fine i'll I guess I'll come back some other time. And she's like, no, come back and fix it. And he goes in the bathroom. He kind of starts pointing things out to her. And when she goes to look, he grabs her and kind of tears her shirt off. He changes Um, there, too. There's a different, like, he has this different face. And they do this weird expression thing. But when she walks past him, his facial expression completely changes. He grabs her. And he's got her muted by holding one hand over her mouth. And both her arms are just trying to pull at that hand. Then he reaches up and tears her top and just rips it wide open with his hand clamped firmly over her mouth and her hands still pulling at that one single arm so they're just kind of setting up like how he's like completely robotic in some way with this and it's like he's not even there yeah exactly so then um we cut to he's it goes to another place and he's and i don't even know if these are on the same day we could be switching a lot of times you switch days in this and you don't realize it in this movie uh but he's at another place and he buzzes in and the lady, you know, he talks his way in and while she's buzzing him in, he actually has to go move his car first. Um, but he still gets access to the building and then he finds out where the soup, the man, the apartment manager's building is or, uh, apartment is. He goes in there and he, uh, gets in and he actually ties her up. And as he's tying her up, he sees himself in the mirror, which seems to horrify him. And she's able to bite his hand. And then he kind of freaks out and starts beating the shit out of her. But then he leaves. But he leaves her alive. Did you recognize that actress? I thought she looked recognizable, but I couldn't tell you from where. Okay. Before it was a TV series and it was just the movie version of MASH, she was the original Hot Lips in the movie (gasps) version of MASH. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
thank you. Uh, that fucking, that's awesome. And All right. That actress has also been in a bunch of other movies as well. Um, but that uh, particular role is the one that I think you would recognize her the most from. Yeah. Um, so then... Um, they uh, go to the hospital to interview her, and they question her, but she can't remember anything other than being frozen, like unable to move. Well, and that's all she can remember. But and she doesn't her remember face anything is else. Really piled into like I he mean, really beat the living fuck he, out of yeah, her. He caused her a lot of brain damage. You you can barely recognize her. Yeah, her face is all cracked up. Like it looks like yeah. parts of her skull were broken from being Pro- punched. Yeah. Um. So um. Then we cut to he's he try he, he follows this woman back to her apartment Caesar go in so he's gonna try to invade it as he tries to open the door he comes face to face with the woman's husband he chases him as he's chasing the guy outside he yells at the cops that you know this guy tried to break into my house so the cops give chase he actually gets hit by a car Nothing too serious, but it's enough to slow him up and the cops catch him. He's in court and he doesn't want counsel for anything. He doesn't want his court-appointed lawyer. Uh, doesn't feel like he did anything wrong. So as the prosecutor and the other and his attorney talk to the judge, the judge says there's obviously something wrong with him. He goes, I'm sending him to a medical facility. He has to be checked out. So um, as uh, the cops are again talking to the apartment manager and she does remember she bit his hand. So now they know they can look for maybe some sort of injury on the hand. Um, DeSalvo uh, is taking an elevator by the orderly and he's trying to plead with the orderly that, you know, he doesn't belong there. And at this point, Bottomley and uh, and the, the de- Bottomley and the detective they walk into the elevator as well, and they're kind of listening to DeSalvo talking. And DeSalvo talks how about how the cops found this ruler that he uses for work. He just bought it, but they called it a thieves' tool. And all the while, uh, while Bottomley, uh, uh, Bottomley and I think Denali is his name are listening, uh, they leave and they kind of see his hand. Uh, is bandaged. Well, they get all the way out to the car before it really sinks in. They both stop staring at one another and Denali says, I can't even breathe. So they head back in to talk to the doctor uh, again and the doctor's checking out DeSalvo's uh, charts in our next clip. Fascinating. DeSalvo's preliminary diagnosis indicates the possibility of a classic multiple personality situation. In such cases, does the patient know he has two personalities? No. You mean he actually doesn't know what the other part of him is doing? Well, the other part of him is the wrong phrase. It's hard to accept, but there are actually two totally separate personalities. I mean literally, actually. Two separate people enclosed in one body. And they take turns using the body. Excuse me. Dr. Nagy. The dispensary. Oh, thank you. The wound was a human bite. He claims he caught it in some machinery. He's lying. I may not be lying. If this diagnosis is valid, he wasn't bitten, the other man was. You know, one valid definition of sanity is someone who isn't in an insane asylum. Where does he work? Pine Furnace in Bradford Street. There was soot on the floor of Terry Evans' apartment in Cambridge. It could have come from a furnace. Check his work record against the Stranglings, you and McAfee. See when he was off work or on outside jobs. 
Number seven, October 5th. Lisa Gordon, 215 Huntington Avenue, Boston. October 5th. DeSalvo checked out from a job at Rawlins Place at 2 p.m. That's 15 blocks from Huntington. She died at approximately 2.30. He could have made that easily. Number eight, October 19th. Bobby Eden, 205 Park Drive, Boston. Time of death, approximately 7.30 p.m. He had an emergency repair job a couple of blocks away. 405 Park Drive. He checked out at 7 p.m. That's eight out of eight he was available for. Number nine, November 1st. June Williams, 448 Charles Street. Approximate time of death was noon. Worked all day in the shop. Hey, wait. Lunch, 11.30 to 12.45. He killed her during lunch. We're less than a mile from Charles Street. Number 10, November 10th, Terry Evans, 24 Essex Street in Cambridge. Time of death, approximately 1 p.m. Worked in repair shop, 10 to 12 noon. Serviced furnace at 38 Hudson Street, Cambridge, 3 to 6 p.m. He had time to squeeze in number 10. Number 11, November 25th, Pat Bruner, 4 University Road, November Boston. November 25th? That was the day of the president's funeral. Everything was closed. He was available. Call the hospital and put more security on him. <laughs> Albert's survival depends on his absolute certainty of his innocence. If he accepts your interrogating him, it'll stir up all the terrible rumblings that have got to be going on inside him. Isn't that the idea? To get him to start hearing those rumblings get louder and louder until he can't stand it? Feels right. He's got to be questioned. I think you want to question him because you want to question him. You've got the smell of the prey in your nose and you want to close him for the kill, just like any ordinary cop. My motivations are my own affair. I wouldn't let you question him if he was charged with the stranglings and he was in jail. Well, I'm certainly not going to allow it when he's in a hospital and maybe mentally incompetent. So you don't want to find out if he's a strangler? Well, of course I want to find out, but I'm here to protect him, not to help you send him to the electric chair. Suppose I can find out without any legal risk to Albert. You can't. I'm perfectly willing to sign a paper that guarantees that anything I get out of him will never be used against him in court. Then what's the point? The point is I have to know if he's a strangler. We all have to know so we can start breathing again. You would honor it, but what about your successor or some gung-ho DA? You sign for Albert, I sign for the state. If another prosecutor tries to use any evidence I get, or even a confession, it will be thrown out of court on the grounds that it was deceitfully exacted from Albert. This is a medical problem, not a legal one. You don't seem to appreciate at all the danger to Albert as a patient in this hospital. If you force Albert the family man to acknowledge the existence of Albert the Strangler, he'll go over the edge. We haven't come up with one single piece of evidence that can be used in court. No fingerprints, no witnesses, no nothing. It's the only direction I can take now. He could become catatonic, hide from himself, withdraw totally. We've got a ward full of them upstairs. Nobody knows where they withdraw to, but they're not here with the rest of us. That's quite a responsibility. It's bad enough if he's guilty, but what if he's innocent? And you push him over the edge. Would it keep him in here for the rest of his life? Almost certainly. Then it's the next best thing to a conviction. Wow, that's fucking cold. I know. I mean, but... Jesus. Uh, 
<laughs> but when you're in desperate times, I guess, I don't know. Um, also <laughs> mixed in here, something I cut out uh, was just um, he did have a meeting with his uh, wife who wants him to talk to the lawyer. And he was really concerned about the kids and he really wanted to see the kids. And he, you know, was sad that uh, they didn't come. Well, all this leads into what is now our final 30 minutes. Um, it's interrogation time. Um, they, you know, bottomly starts talking to him. And all the while, uh, the other detective brings in the manager lady. She does not recognize him at all. She goes, I feel fear, but I can't tell you I've ever seen this man before in my life. Which, with a heavy brain injury like she probably just sustained, makes sense. Um, in the first meeting, he's talking about how he had to rip a lot of cloth to fix these leaking radiators in this room but he keeps getting flashes of him tying up the manager lady to the bed uh and the cloth he's ripping for the radiators is her dress um and then on the next meeting they talk about what he did during the astronauts parade uh, he said he was gonna head home early to see his wife and kids but he keeps seeing the old lady in his mind smiling and walking away then he kept talking about how he wanted to fix a dollhouse and um, he still was kind of losing it because he kept having, while he, you see him fixing this little drawer for his daughter's doll, dollhouse, he, he keeps seeing uh, these uh, images of violence uh, against women. Um, he then, uh, after a few days of this, he is brought in to talk with his doctor, and this is our final clip. I don't feel so good. You know you've been walking and talking in your sleep. No, no, they told me, but uh, I remember. I remember it. Do you want me to stop Mr. Bottomley from seeing you? I can, I think, at least for a little while. Give you a chance to catch your breath. Oh. It bothers you, though, doesn't it? It's awful. And why do you want to go on? I don't know. Can you tell me what the feeling is when you talk to Mr. Bottomley. What's it like? I don't know. I'm always feeling like uh, something is going to happen and it never does. But you like the feeling? Oh, yeah, I like the feeling. I mean, it's, uh, it's all right. It's just scary. It's uh, like driving a car too fast. You know what I mean? When it doesn't happen, this something, how do you feel? Well, then uh, I feel lousy, uh, like the bottom has fallen out. Like everything is going away and I, I can't reach it. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, uh, let me tell you, it, uh, I remember when... Uh, I used to go to confession when I was a kid. I'd be uh, uh, walking toward the box, you know, feeling great because I was going to tell the father about what I did, you know, stealing things out of my mother's purse or something worse, you know what I mean? I mean, for real. Uh, and then all of a sudden I'd lose it. I mean, I could, I could actually, uh, well, I could see it coming out of my head and kind of floating out of the box. And it'd be gone and I... I, I, I couldn't talk to him. Uh, uh, I'd feel awful, and that's uh, that's the way I feel about uh, about Mr. Bottomley. But you do feel good when you think you're going to be able to tell him something, don't you? 
but scared. Uh, well, like, uh, I suppose uh, it's because I <laughs> didn't tell him anything. Albert, tell me this. What do you think would happen to you if you found out what this something is and you told him? I'd die. And here's where you kind of like start feeling. You realize that while his character is a prolific serial killer, if he's a paranoid, if he's a schizophrenic, he doesn't know. So there's no real evil here. There's a mental disorder. Because other than he's just a normal guy, other than that, with a wife and kids. Um, so anyway, uh, then the next day they start talking about the Kennedy funeral, and he starts having flashes of what he did that day, and he starts freaking out. Um, and so then we cut to Bottomley at his home at night. He tells his wife that he thinks this man is about to crack, and also he doesn't like himself that he's enjoying this chase so much of trying to get him to crack. He's yeah, unfortunately, he's enjoying the part of where it sounds like he's winning. And I don't think he likes that about himself. Yeah, I do get the feeling that he feels guilty about it, but I didn't get the feeling that it's about the chase. He knows that he is going to ruin this man's mind in the pursuit of finding the information that he needs so that he can put the city to rest and say, yes, this is the man that's done all these horrible crimes. And coincidentally, he'll be locked away for the rest of his life. Like he wants that aspect of it, but I feel like it's more him feeling guilty realizing that he's about to condemn this man to a fate worse than death by getting the information that he wants ah i got you and that could be also uh as well so um the next day DeSalvo's wife and daughter visit um as he's talking to them and everything he starts having an episode where he can only really see his wife standing there he walks up and she gives this smile because she thinks he's coming to like comfort her and instead, he starts strangling her. Um, the cops in Bottomley bust in, and they break him up. And uh, the little girl kind of yells. At, or actually, they don't. I'm sorry. Uh, they don't. He sees himself in the mirror again, and he breaks through, and he lets her go. The little girl starts yelling, you were hurting mommy. And he's like, no, I wasn't. Where would you get an idea like that? Because he, again, is now back to reality. Um Bottomly then questions him about New Year's Day. Like, what did he do in New Year's Day? He breaks down and he describes and reenacts the killing he did that day. Horrified, he slips into a canatonic state. It then shows that Robert DeSalvo, presently imprisoned in Walpole, Massachusetts, has never been indicted or tried for the Boston Stranglings. This film has ended, but the responsibility of society for the early recognition and treatment of the violent among us has yet to begin. Roll credits. All right. As of 2013, they compared DNA with the Salvo to some that they found in one of the crime scenes somehow, and they were able to definitively prove that the Salvo was definitely the Boston Strangler. This was in like 2013, and I think they used some DNA from like his brother or something like that to match him up and be able to tie it all together and prove it that that, yeah. that was definitely him. As of the making of this film, all they really had was the murder stopped after they said that DeSalvo was the killer, which I gotcha. left a lot of folks kind of wondering if maybe the killer just moved on, realizing that, you know, their their time in Boston had to come to an end, or was it really DeSalvo the whole time? And it wasn't really until about 2013 that we were able to definitively prove that, yes, this was DeSalvo. 
Yeah, um, and, and now, like, uh, is he still alive? No, he died shortly, actually, after this film was made. He died sometime in the 70s. Uh, mysterious death. Uh, he apparently fell down an elevator shaft onto some bullets. Oh, really? That's weird. It's weird how that happens. <laughs> no, no, I, um, uh, I honestly, I don't know. I just know that he was found dead in his cell. I don't know what the I mean, actual circumstances were. It could were. have been just even another prisoner killed him. Possibly. Uh, but, you know, offenders like that don't last very long in prison. They never have. Well, and everybody's always looking to, pop. Well, and everybody's always looking to get a name for themselves. And that easiest way to get a name is to take out this notorious killer. Yeah. Know, or serial killer or whatever. Uh, there's quite a few things about the back end of this film, this last last 20 minutes that we kind of need to talk about they get really heavily delving into like symbolic um displays because what's actually happening on screen is just ordinary talk but yeah the way that they display the slow mental breakdown is you actually see tony curtis's side of things a lot more like the color slowly drains out and even though everybody else has a bunch of color to them even he is just all in white he's in the white padded room and then by the end of it whenever he finally like has his full-fledged break that they're displaying on the screen when he backs away into an all-white room dressed in white that's symbolic of his death that's symbolic of him being gone like the the man who was there in any way shape or form is no longer there after this final confrontation and whatever happens to him he goes into that like sort of catatonic state and that's the end of it yeah that's kind of what they were implying there that, you know, like that was his death, that that was him being basically mentally executed by having this man press him like that in some way, shape or form. I don't know if it's supposed to be for to try and play sympathy for what happened to him. I mean, that is extreme, but and also whatever proof would they have if this were to possibly happen anyway, they had to press to try and make sure that they got the right person because they need to keep looking otherwise. And there's a bunch of extenuating circumstances that makes this a real hard moral area to talk about with yeah. the decisions that were made by the characters and everything. Um, how much that has to do with real life, I really don't know. I do know he was put into an asylum. I do know he was found dead, dead later on. And I do know that it was up until about 2013 until they finally were able to definitively prove using some DNA evidence. And I only know that because I looked it up just to make sure because I was pretty sure I'd heard something about it ages and ages ago. But there's some conspiracy theories going on that like the bunch of serial killers were actually framed by one master serial killer crazy guy person that ran around and did a lot of this stuff you know and not just the boston strangler or some shit but that's like b-movie stuff this was this was him this was albert DeSalvo. we know yeah, this yeah. Now. Uh, albert yeah i mean it sounds like pretty definitively he was the the boston strangler yeah and they did immediately stop right after he was put into custody i the stuff that they do where he's like trying to strangle his own wife before he has a full mental breakdown i don't know if any of that is true or just uh embellishment in the story i'm just gonna focus hollywood yeah, right i'm just gonna focus in on the actual story for the movie itself with this uh, the way that the structures all flow into each other where you have the killings first emerge and they become known that this is a ongoing serial killer that is happening the police eventually try to adapt to it in such a way and then they start working with the media whenever it spreads the panic in the city because you can't cover it up after it starts hitting the double digits you just can't that's not going to happen yeah. uh, then kind of everybody just sort of sits there and lives with it and women seem to get a little 
little more cavalier with letting people into their house or so that's how the movie portrays it and then the big peer and push at the end and then he finally gets caught there are some really grim sequences that even for 68 i was really shocked got left in the film and it got released as you know meant for a grown-up audience or an r-rated audience yeah Uh, the sequence where the lady's in the bathroom and then he's got her held and then he rips her top open yeah i was uh, was really shocked by that that was a lot that felt very salacious too like it was they were doing it for titillation like to try and bring in some sexiness to the serial killing stuff which is weird yeah I was I was not like because they really focus in on the breast popping out of the ripped shirt like and they tried to I don't know like it felt like they were trying to film it like here's some nudity huh yeah you're welcome everyone the sequence where the super lady is being tied to the bed and she bites him and then he starts beating her the violence in that goes to a point where it's almost like where you just want it to fucking end like you yeah please that punching was fucking yikes it takes its toll on you emotionally and by the time you get to the point where you are in the asylum while Tony Curtis's character is being interviewed. The film has been working on you for such a long time. You see the panic and the fear of everybody else living with the Boston Strangler and what's going on in their city. And then right at like the 50 minute marker, like right around the hour long marker, basically about halfway through the film, all of a sudden it just shifts focus and now you're stuck in the world as Tony Curtis's Albert DeSalvo can sort of discern it, even though he's got gaps in time that are missing. And then the narrative takes on that same fractured turn where we're jumping around in time and we you know he doesn't even know where he is let alone us supposed to know where he's he's at and what's going on and by the time you get adjusted to that then you're in the asylum and then everything collides together where things from his perspective may have been actually happening at the same time as the first half of the movie you're not really sure because some of the killings were hinted at in the investigative side of it but then you see more of what he's actually doing and that's the part where I really like to try and figure out what's happening when and is the one half of this film the linear timeline of them investigating it is the second half of the film where we're seeing it from Tony Curtis's perspective all of the same days and all of the same events and all the same stuff just from his perspective and how he's in and out of it as he's doing this stuff and watching it with that in mind like trying to match it up and see if maybe it fits really makes it a a very interesting story from that aspect because this is probably about the sixth or seventh time I've watched this movie yeah (laughs) and Um, I'm still finding stuff to enjoy about it yeah it's um yeah and it, it, as far as like when they finally get him you well i mean i had that sire when he, he was like i can't breathe you know when they thought about it, i'm like fuck it why why are you leaving like when it looks like they're gonna just leave him after hearing him talk and seeing the bandage of his hand and they're going out to the car i'm like motherfuck if you can't catch him now i don't know when you're supposed to you know and it, it's it's fucking maddening trying to get them so they can catch a guy uh so fuck that was something else it's an emotional emotionally draining movie but i mean that means it's a good movie yeah it definitely is um once you have gone through it like a full stop watch the movie and from beginning to end there are times when i went back and watched it this was one of those things where i recorded this off of cable when i worked for the local cable company out here as a tech support rep so it was on one of the movie channels and i recorded it and it was like the very earliest days of dvr because we were still field testing them so we could see weird things that happened before it got mass released to everybody else 
Uh-huh. This was the one of the first things that I ever recorded on a DVR from the cable company. And oh, nice. I kept this movie forever and I kept this junk DVR I had running just so I could keep this movie on the hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, well, I mean i don't blame you uh, <laughs> i watched it a ton i watched it so many times i watched it over and over again i know it's i've seen this at least movie. seven times at least it's such a well done movie so well acted so the cinematography is 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 great the the music is great um you know there's in, in, the the intensity is is excellent it's it's everything you want and what is a, a crime drama i mean i guess is what you would call this well it's totally a prototype for csi law and order and all of those kind of police procedural type shows whether yeah. it's the investigating of the actual crime scene or if it's trying to follow lenny you know around the city for half the show and then watch Would the- you call I'm sorry, would you call this a noir film? I I can see where it has some aspects of that to the lighting, but noir is always going to be a black and white detective hard yeah. grizzled well, I guess type story for me. I was saying it was much like a like an L.A. confidential. Well, okay, kinda. yeah, where it's working around the same kind of trappings. Yeah, this police procedural yeah. aspect of it and the investigative aspect of it, because it does go more gritty and everything, it does have some of those feelings of like, like what would be in a film noir. Yeah, I could totally see that, but I don't think I would consider this straight up noir. I mean, it okay. also has a lot of elements that were used in giallos later on as well, but I wouldn't call this a giallo. It's more like a prototype of that. This is like mid-60s this came out. This is unbelievable, yeah, I mean, the time get, frame yeah, this movie's from. You're not wrong. I just was like, huh. You know, I mean, what would you kind of consider this? Could you consider this something, I don't know. It just kind of reminded me of L.A. Confidential a little bit. So, well, I think it's also the time frame that it takes place in. It takes place in the era that it's pretty much shot in. Yeah, there's so. there's a couple of movies that were influenced by the Boston Strangler that did end up becoming um, films around this time. This is probably the best of it. I feel like this is pretty much a biopic of the investigator that. Uh, is played by Henry Fonda, and then also DeSalvo himself. So it's sort of like your very earliest serial killer biopic movie, and that's kind of where I look at it as. It's certainly one of the better made of these these sorts, and this and Citizen X being played back-to-back is a, would have been like a really good kind of double feature to really make you feel ashamed and, and grossed out by humanity. Yes, because you definitely feel that way at the end of this. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it takes its toll on you, but it's a really well-done film, and it does reward you with multiple viewings. I, I can not stress that enough. Um, whether or not you can bring yourself to watch it multiple times, well, I guess we'll see, but there was yeah. something wrong with me 12 years ago that I watched this once a night, you know, practically <laughs> when I would get off work, I would come home and I would watch this movie and I'd just be so enamored by the cinematography or I would just watch portions of it to see how they did the split screening well, and all I mean, that. Nothing's wrong with you. You enjoyed the movie. I mean, there's nothing wrong with enjoying this movie either. I mean, it's not like it's some grindhouse gore fest where, you know, yeah, there's probably a problem with you if you love watching it this much, but it, and so there is something wrong with you, but I'm saying, uh, not for liking this particular movie. <laughs> Well, I happen to like watching murder scenes in movies to help me relax. That's just something that has always Casey, made me yeah, feel Yeah, all right. Then, then I get it. Yeah, there's something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what? So I like to watch Joker kill the guy that's been fucking up his life over and over again whenever I'm having a bad day, and then that makes me feel better when, when Arthur Fleck uh, bashes the guy's head in. that man, There's something wrong with me for enjoying that. No, I, I can't even give you that because I somewhat enjoyed that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wish I could be like, oh, court, so bad. But 
Nah, yeah, I kind of got into that, and the and when he killed the three guys on the subway. So yeah, I I, I can't really yell at you. <laughs> uh, brother, why don't we just do some psyop news because uh, we need to fill in some time on this, and then we can call yeah. it an episode. Let's do it. All right, we're gonna play the corrupted youth promo. We'll have a little bit of music that sort of fits in with serial killers. It's more just synthwave stuff because I'm you know working my way through that stuff. And when we come back, we'll do some psyop news. Taste colors beyond any known spectrum as phonic euphoria cascades into your consciousness. Observe the laws of physics no longer applying to an existence that confines. Space and time will unravel and reform to a screaming new dawn, bursting with infinite possibility. It's as easy as listening to the Corrupted Youth Podcast, where the father-son duo of Dan and Brennan explore the latest blockbusters, classic genre films, and the schlockiest of Golden Age VHS rental store flicks in spoiler-heavy fashion. Corrupted Youth Podcast is available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. Take a break from reality, unlock your infinite cosmic potential, and become a dongle. still killing me that six years into this show i can't pick music befitting of because spotify god damn you spotify (laughs) fought so hard to get on spotify and then spotify fought so hard to take away my music yeah what's up with that (laughs) the only thing that can replace it is some sorry Uh, this one comes from Robert Ward. That's our man so, in the field, Robert. Our man in the field, uh, man in the field, Robert, uh, from the New York Post. A baboons armed with knives and chainsaws spotted in U- UK safari park. This is like traces of death, fucked to porno. Okay, uh, there's some real monkey business at the British safari park Blah, where a roving, um, yeah, where, some, where a roving gang of I didn't write this. I know where a roving gang of baboons armed with knives and even a chainsaw has been wreaking havoc and swelling fear, sowing fear, according to. To a report. The prowling primates are known to have had vandalized vehicles, ripping off windscreen wipers and mirrors from them at the no, uh, uh, Nosley Safari Park in Maryside. I have the, the most Sunday confused Times direction reporting. right now. 
But the baboons have recently been seen carrying an assortment of weapons, including blades. And I'm going to fuck it to death. Screwdrivers hey, bro, and a chainsaw. Your silicone <laughs> penis budget is out of control. Leading some workers to suspect that visitors have sal- supplied them with the dangerous items for a thrill, according to the news outlet. Oh, he's looking for Wang. Okay, was, Cor- the, was, was that fucking chainsaw running or? <laughs> I have no idea yet. Because have the- you. The worst idea you could possibly ever do is to train any kind of greater ape how to operate a chainsaw. That is the dumbest thing you could possibly ever do. Yeah, you don't want too much advanced tool knowledge or else we're really going to lose our, our, our edge here. <laughs> we don't have much of an edge left. Vagina smells like dead body. That too. That too. Uh can I ask you something, Court? Yeah. Have you ever just felt like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop off a, a a chainsaw to a primate and just let him have fun. My lawyer has advised me not to answer that question. How many lawyers do you have? I have a lawyer who has advised me not to answer that question. <laughs> oh man! So, uh. We're not sure if they're being given the weapons. Uh, the, uh, a park ranger's quoted. We're not sure if they're being given weapons by some of the guests who want to see them attack cars or if they're fishing them out of pickup trucks and vans, one employee told the paper. They will literally go into people's toolboxes and carry them around. One of the baboons was seen lugging around a chainsaw. Park officials pushed back at the reports, suggesting that armed apes were an urban myth. Pulling it we just be- to pull it. They state that they believe that these stories have been grown in exaggeration as they've been retold, with embellishment to make the objects that are sometimes found in an enclosure seem more exciting and unbelievable. The, the park told the, the news outlet. All cops are bumbling <laughs> dummies. Yeah. Uh, well, kind of. Uh, the monkey enclosure is well known to mechanics in the northwest area of England, where the 550-acre park, which also houses lions, tigers, and rhinos, wild, uh, wildebeest, and camels, is located. That's People my kn- fetish. That uh, Well, oh, I mean, kind of. I have uh, a ragey direction. Usually, yeah. I mean, that's kind of always what's happening with me. I'm already getting um, arrested. I might as well grab this guy's dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, damn it. That cock and shit, it's like metal. Um, People know what's going to happen when they drive inside, one mechanic told the outlet. I've had two customers here who became victims of those baboons. God doesn't um, see what you do, Adel. I have a mate with a garage in St. Helens in exactly the same. The kids start chirping up, saying they want uh, monkeys all over the car. The next thing you know, you're driving home with no registration plate. Man, that's Good money the for- worst job ever. Good money for us, mind you, so I'm not complaining at all, he added. <laughs> <laughs> He's the one that's been arming the fucking monkeys. Yeah, with yeah, you're prob- probably right. Uh, Nosley, which reopened on June 15th with security measures amid the coronavirus pandemic, stockpile my guns because cops don't help you. Argued that it was as safe as a McDonald's drive-through since visitors remain in their vehicles. Scoutmaster so. Lewis, no, <laughs> right? No. But uh, there you go. So we 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 got some things happening, man. First coronavirus. Now 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 all the primates are coming after us. So shooting a fucking hot load all over this dog to establish dominance. Probably. I'm a homosexual. Well, that's that's not true. This is like traces of death. Fucked a porno. That might be what it look like, looks like before it's all said and done. Yeah. America is a bunch of cunts. We sure fucking are. And other horse sex news. I have no horse sex this week, so. All right, fine. Fuck it. I'll just end the show then. All right, then. 
And with that, it is the time for the Ending Legion promo. We'll have a little bit more music, and when we come back, we will close out this weird show. If you enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema PsyOps, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcasts, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Metal Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick 6 Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found. So if you're worried that we've been covering way too many well-made films, just wait. Next week, it's going to be all for you. We'll figure something out, and we'll bring the filth back when the trash and the garbage. Yay, garbage. We're all garbage here. The main landing and launching page where you can dump off your garbage and or pick up some of ours if you'd like to repurpose it is legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. There's also our Facebook group, which I'm going to assure you is full of all sorts of cool garbage. That's cinema psyops that's on the group's part of Facebook. Only the finest of garbage, though. Yeah, we got the highest quality of garbage. We're talking like the dumpster diving at the Chateau Day art. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. We're dumpster diving at the Louvre over here, okay? You can find me on Facebook. Speaking of dumpster fires, I am Court Psyop. (laughs) You can also find Matt over on the dumpster fire. That is Facebook. You can also email feedback to Matt, psyopmatt at gmail.com. Let him know he's going to have to bring his A-game because the movie ain't going to sell itself next week. Oh, no. I don't like it. You can email feedback to court, cinemasyopscourt at gmail.com. Let them know that just because you bought the fucking Blu-ray doesn't mean you have to cover it on your show, dick. I mean, you know, you never know. That's how we usually do this show. Who are they to tell us how to live? (laughs) Yeah, this is my life. This is my movies that I'm wasting my money on. Let me cover whatever the fuck I want. 
Yeah, exactly. What the hell? You can tweet a couple of tweets to a couple of twats on the hate-filled shitfest that knows more about buying movies than you that is Twitter. <laughs> I'm at court underscore psyop, and he is at psyop Matt. The show is also available in the form of me haunting through the gram of Insta, cinema underscore psyop. Memes shall resume now that I am back from my much-needed vacation in the yes. middle of nowhere. That's nice. Always good. Always good to get away. Well, folks, if you are having trouble getting away, kick the fuck out of this week and make it your bitch. Okay, I was like, wait, I don't hear you. And then all of a sudden you popped up. <laughs> Weird. Well, um, I'm pretty much set up and ready to go. I got the clips awesome. and everything. So let's not dilly dally. This is the end of my vacation. This is, yes, the very end of the, a nice vacation. And yes, spend it with me. <laughs> uh, it's like recording sorry. Sunday night before the week actually starts, basically. Yeah, right. <laughs> recording on your side yet? And I am now one, two, three. Uh, the first 20 minutes here. Uh, the We start... Um, hold on, I had to get this up here. Damn it. That was supposed to go a little bit more seamlessly than it did. <laughs> All right. Rourke lives in Cambridge. I got something, eh? You got something. Five minutes and 20 fucking seconds. Jesus Christ. I, I know, man, but it was a great scene. So, fuck it. <laughs> it was a lot longer than that, and I cut out, like, a whole middle section. Right. So, you know, young, good looking dude, clearly disheveled, smells like vagina. <laughs> Easy Man. guess. Smells like the 70s in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like his, you know, the front of his suit still has like some cum stains on it or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, like an obvious. <laughs> he's basically, he's just pulling like this Sean Spencer shit, you know, is all he's, he's way, doing. He's way too happy to be investigating a murder right now. <laughs> right. So, man, you seem way too relaxed. Um, so, shoot. Okay. Fought so hard to get on Spotify, and then Spotify fought so hard to take away my music. Yeah. What's up with that? <laughs> the only thing that can replace it is some PSYOP news. Awesome segue.
always good to get away. Well, folks, if you are having trouble getting away, kick the fuck out of this week and make it your bitch. I had nothing. I'm like, whatever, I'm closing and I'm done. There you go. You're good. <laughs> All right. And I have stopped recording on my side.